are now tuned in to the Brendan King Show. From high above the circle in downtown Indianapolis, here's BK. Well, thank you so much. Episode 10 of the BK Show. We are a decade in, kind of, 10 weeks of the pod. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Brendan King. If you're just joining for the first time, you picked a pretty damn good episode. Brandon Gauden, our good buddy, play-by-play voice for EA Sports, Madden NFL, Fox Sports 1, the Big Ten Network, the whole shebang, a rising star in the broadcast industry, also does radio for Westwood 1. He is our guest today, a Butler alum, former voice of Butler basketball, and a guy that has helped me quite a bit in my broadcast career. That interview is upcoming. We got some Circle Center speed around today, some phone calls, some voicemails to get to, but most importantly... As we start this week, the Carson Wentz era with the Indianapolis Colts is about to begin. Now, the trade will not be official until the new NFL season begins officially in March. So that's why you haven't heard anything from you know Frank Reich or Chris Ballard or Jim Irsay or even Carson Wentz, even though it was shown that Wentz arrived to Indianapolis this weekend. So he is heading here, but the Colts cannot officially announce the trade, official official, and actually have press conferences for, oh, another two and a half weeks or so, which is a shame because we talked about on last week's podcast, you know, we haven't really heard from Frank Reich since his last press conference of the season after the Buffalo Bills lost in the playoffs. Phillip Rivers retires. There's a lot we need to hear from Frank Reich on, including the left tackle situation. We'll get to that momentarily. But Carson Wentz is an Indianapolis Colt. 2021 third rounder, a 2022 conditional second round selection, and that could be that could become a first round pick. Now, if you're unfamiliar with how that's going to work, that second rounder will become a first round selection if Wentz plays 75% of the Colts snaps this year or 70% and the Colts make the playoffs. There's that little stipulation in there with the end. So, really if he's a capable starting quarterback and he's the stud that everybody says he is, hint, hint, wink, wink, we'll get to that in a second. If he's the stud everybody says he is, that shouldn't be a problem. But if this guy is as beaten and battered and bruised, both physically and mentally, the guy got sacked 50 times last year. 5-0. Philip Rivers. The immovable object in the pocket, who, again, had a great year. I'm never not going to say that Phillip Rivers did not have a great 2020 because he did. Phillip Rivers had a tremendous 2020 in a Colts uniform, but he was an immovable object in the pocket. He had a great offensive line. Anthony Costanzo is now retired. He got sacked 19 times. 19. For a guy that you know he wasn't taken off. Phillip Rivers was never leaving the pocket. Now, as we go to Philadelphia, that relationship was torn, was beaten, was ugly, was ferocious, was tumultuous. 
and you could use any adjective you'd like. That relationship was terrible. Truly, truly terrible. And you can tell, considering the fact that the Eagles will take the highest cap hit in NFL history to get rid of a guy. Now let's look back. Carson Wentz. 11 wins in his second year. MVP Carson Wentz. Can he play like that again? He's got his coach. He's got weapons. He's about to have a hell of an offensive line that's going to protect him. He's got a really smart new offensive coordinator in Marcus Brady. He's got a defense that is going to keep him fresh and that's going to stop other offenses coming into Lucas Oil Stadium. He's got a city that will support him. Unless he he does something like Andrew Luck does and they start booing him off the field, which I never was about. But he's got a city that's going to support him. He's got a beautiful stadium to play in, a great practice facility. Now, he's not going to have the setup like Phillip Rivers did, moving his family up to the north side and splitting a, a mansion with 14 people. But Carson Wentz has everything he needs to succeed here. Especially an unbelievable backfield. Such a good backfield and such a young good backfield that Marlon Mack, who was the starter and the solidified starter at that over the last few years, they don't even know if they're bringing him back because of what Jonathan Taylor did and of what because Naheem Hines did. Now back to Philadelphia, Doug Peterson. You have a guy like Miles Sanders in the backfield and Carson is still struggling. And Carson is still getting benched for a rookie Jalen Hurts. You would hope and pray that Carson Wentz with Jonathan Taylor at his disposal, a human wrecking ball, and Naeem Hines, that same type of wrecking ball mentality, but a great route runner for a running back, a great pass catcher for a running back. He even does back tumbles and backflips in the end zone. But in all here, This isn't necessarily about the Colts going all in on Carson Wentz. You could say, yeah, yeah, but look at the contract. They're making a commitment to him. The commitment's for two years. The commitment's for two years, okay? If he stinks, the commitment is for max two years, and then they could do something about him. The commitment and the trust right now is in the lap of two men. And you can probably guess who they are. Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. Jim Irsay has said multiple times over the last six months that he wants to win multiple Super Bowls this decade. Multiple. Okay? Ideally, you were going to do that with Andrew Luck. You were never going to do that with Jacoby Brissett. And again, I said on the speed round a couple weeks ago, if it's Brissett, people would have dipped out on season tickets faster than Speedy Gonzalez. Goodness. If it was Jacob Eason, then you bring in a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Carson Wentz was number three in the speed round. I had I had Darnold ahead of him. Yes, I did. Is Darnold going to move from the Jets? We'll see now. I did have Darnold ahead of Wentz. But there's no longer a question under center now for how far can Phillip Rivers throw it? God, do we need to bring Jacoby in to launch a Hail Mary? There's no longer that question. You have that figured out. But you never had to question... Philip Rivers' mental stability 
even though he came off one of his worst career years in Los Angeles the year before. He's a Hall of Fame talent. I think he's going to be okay. He's a guy that tells it like it is. Carson Wentz has been mentally and physically abused. And again, this falls in the lap of two men. That's Frank Reich and that's Chris Ballard. This is the test, okay, of how good of a coach Frank Reich is. We've heard for years that Frank is a quarterback whisperer. And honestly, I see it. I do. And that's why I have hope with Sirianni in Philadelphia. That's why I don't think that's necessarily a wash because he made an unmovable Philip Rivers, now given he had a great offensive line, some solid weapons, but he made an unmovable 39-year-old Philip Rivers a pretty damn good quarterback, having the best completion percentage since Peyton Manning in 09. That doesn't just happen by chance, and that doesn't just happen because a good old line's in front of you. At some point, you got to execute. And don't forget, he has a rookie rod receiver, rod receiver in Michael Pittman Jr., who was injured for you know a quarter of the year. Zach Paschal, who was maybe an ordinary number four receiver, he was looking like a number two at times. T.Y. Hilton came back to life mid-year. Unfortunately, we never got to see what happened with Paris Campbell. Mo Ali Cox, a couple weeks was pretty good. Trey Burton, pretty eh, average. Jack Doyle also started to heat up towards the end of the season. But for a majority of that year, guys, that was Phillip Rivers carrying the team. That was Phillip Rivers executing. And that's why I have hope, because Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni, but again, Frank Reich made a 39-year-old Phillip Rivers work. But this is the test. This is the Colts going all in with Reich. This is Reich's guy coming into Reich's offense, which he knows and which he performed at an MVP level early in his career. This is it. And it's also it for Ballard. Ballard found a way to hang on to not only his first round pick, but his second round pick this year. Now, you talk about next year and maybe losing your first round pick. You know, the Colts traded their first round pick this past year for DeForest Buckner, and that worked out pretty well. You still came away with Pittman and Taylor. I don't ever doubt Chris Ballard's drafting ability. But why I'm saying it's all in for Chris Ballard right now, he found a way to keep his first and second round pick this year. If you can't go help Carson Wentz now and not only get an elite left tackle, but also either an elite weapon downfield or an elite pass rusher in the second half, then I have concerns. And you can kind of go back and forth on what you want to do with the second part of that sentence. Do you want to go out and pay money for a guy like Chris Godwin? Or do you want to go out and pay money for a guy like J.J. Watt or Von Miller? That's your decision. It depends on who you like in the draft. But absolutely, with number 21, you should go and draft an elite left tackle, which I think is the consensus pick, right? And to me, that left tackle is Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame. I think you go back up to South Bend. If you look at the left tackles available... And if you guys are mock drafters, you may be agreeing with me. You may be disagreeing with me. I'm not Mel Kuyper. <laughs> I'm not, I don't claim to be Todd McShay. But you look at the left tackles available and who still may be there at 21, there's a high likelihood that Liam Eikenberg, who has patrolled, not just performed, but patrolled the left tackle spot at Notre Dame these last four years. 
You know, I was talking with my friend Tom Noy, the great columnist for the South Bend Tribune, who I've built a great relationship with over the last couple of years, being with the South Bend Cubs. He was on my radio show here in Indy, Indiana Sports Talk when I was filling in for Coach Bob Lovell a few weeks back. And we he called in to talk, obviously, some Notre Dame hoops, but also some Notre Dame football. And I asked him specifically two questions. One, could Quentin Nelson play left tackle? He said, no doubt. And then he followed that up by saying, and talking about Liam Eikenberg, that Liam Eikenberg is the reason that Quentin Nelson is not an NFL starting left tackle. Quentin Nelson was recruited by Brian Kelly as a left tackle. He was intended to play at Notre Dame as a left tackle. Then Liam Eikenberg came in, all six foot seven of them, 315. Kid's a monster. He's smart. And you get him down here, and you plop him right next to his college teammate, now an all-pro future Hall of Fame left guard? That's what I said all along. I've never been a proponent of putting Nelson at left tackle because to me, even though Nelson probably could do it, you keep him there, you go get that elite left tackle 21, whether that's whether that's Eichenberg or somebody else, and you just go. You plug Ryan Kelly, still your center. Glowinski's still your right guard. Braden Smith has been a terrific right tackle. And I don't like moving Braden Smith to left tackle either. He is taking over at right tackle. He may be an all-pro right tackle someday. With how good he, Don't forget, he was drafted as a right guard out of the SEC. And that <laughs> continues to show that, yes, Quentin Nelson could play left tackle. But in the situation the Colts are in right now, with Carson Wentz coming in, and with you going all in on your coach and your GM, and the owner saying, hey, <laughs> I want multiple Super Bowls. You go out, you draft Eichenberg, you draft the left tackle that you want, and you make the decision in the second round because you smartly held on to that pick. Do you go pass rush or do you go a skill position weapon? And whatever you don't do, you dip in the free agency because you have the second most cap room in the NFL besides Jacksonville. It's really simple, but it all circles back to Carson Wentz performing. He's got to do it. He's got to do it because he's Reich's guy. Reich obviously loves him. We've heard nothing the last week except sound bites from Frank saying how elite and how generational and how terrific and how smart Carson Wentz is. But it finally started today, Mike Tannebaum on ESPN. Get up. Tannebaum, former GM of the New York Jets, take that as you will. He said that this next year, Carson Wentz is going to be the worst quarterback, worst in the AFC South. Worse than Trevor Lawrence, a kid that hasn't even been drafted yet. Worse than Ryan Tannehill, which maybe you could argue. Worse than Deshaun Watson, for sure. For sure. Who knows if Deshaun Watson's even going to be in the AFC South. If Deshaun Watson gets traded, that claim goes to the trash. But worse than Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence 
I believe that he could be a great player. The Urban Meyer thing, I've told you guys my opinion on the Urban Meyer thing. I think it's going to be a disaster. But to say that a guy that competed at an MVP level just years ago and literally at every entry in the book is going to be worse than a rookie that's never experienced an NFL game, NFL dudes, an NFL pass rush coming at him? Again, Trevor Lawrence, week two, he was playing guys from Winnie Hunt Juniors. Mike Tannenbaum. Okay, maybe you'd say that right now you'd take Trevor Lawrence over Carson Wentz in terms of potential, in terms of future. But I'll take the track record, even with Wentz's 2020. Rather than a rookie, you plug that right now into the Colts system, I'm absolutely taking that. Couple voicemails to get to tonight. One of them is from your friend and mine, Mr. Byron in Sarasota. And it has to do, of course, with Carson Wentz being traded out of Philadelphia. And we're going to toss it to Byron right now on the show. And again, before we get to our interview with Brandon Gaudin. We learned today that there, <laughs> when you leave voicemails, 317-699-2350 to come onto the program every week. When you leave voicemails, there is a limit <laughs> for how much you can talk, and that is three minutes. And we found that out today because Byron used all of his time. Take it away, buddy. Hey, BK, what's going on? This is Byron calling in from the University Town Center Mall in Sarasota, Florida. You know what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the Carson Wentz saga. This will be my final call about Carson Wentz forever. I'm very happy to be done talking about this guy. Um, I just wanted to organize my thoughts a little bit. First, I want to talk about the player that the Colts are getting in Carson Wentz. You're getting a really great quarterback. Um, I think what you'll end up getting is 2019 Carson Wentz. I don't think you'll get MVP Carson Wentz. Um, I think his body is just kind of shot from that area, but uh, you know, after a torn ACL, broken back, and a severe concussion, I just don't think you're going to get the same athlete that Carson Wentz was, but I think you're going to get a really good player. I think you're going to get a guy who's going to lift up his teammates and to an already strong receiving core and strong offense, I think the Colts are going to really enjoy him. Uh, I think you're going to get a good teammate. I don't believe any of the reports that come out saying that he's a locker room cancer. You have guys like Chris Long and Malcolm Jenkins come out and defend his character. I really think Carson Wentz is a great teammate. How I feel about Carson Wentz and how he handled the situation, I think he handled it terribly personally. Um, it's a bad case in the mouth to demand a trade to a specific team so that the Eagles lost all leverage in a potential deal. The Bears dropped out. The Broncos dropped out. Any other team dropped out once he publicly said he just wanted to be a Colt. And for that, I really just, that really grinds my gears personally. Um, he doesn't owe the organization anything, but they did give him $200 million, which after he never won a playoff game. So that's kind of like, you know, might want to just help out the team a little bit, um, which he did not do. Um, and especially with the man in that trade to the Colts, he really, really messed up the leverage that Howie Roseman got in a trade with any team. Um, I think winners never quit and quit, quitters never win as, a, as an ode to Max Homa, my good friend. Um, I don't think Carson Wentz will ever win a Super Bowl. I, I hope that he plays 70% of the snaps um, so the Eagles can get that first-round pick. I only want what's best for the Eagles, and I think getting him out of the building, getting that first-round pick is the best thing that could happen to the Eagles. So that's kind of how I feel about Carson Wentz. I don't really care about him after that. He's never going to be an Eagles legend to me. 
McNabb will always be someone that's better than Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz quit on his team. I I don't. I obviously would never want him to get hurt or anything. I just hope he doesn't win a Super Bowl with the Colts. Um, nothing personal. Just I don't want to see him do that after he quit on my team. Um, Jalen's my quarterback. I think the Eagles have a good future ahead. Um, I think it was great to get a toxic uh, toxic situation out of the building. Whether I side with Carson or side with Howie, think there's fault on both sides. I just wanted him gone. Goodness. Three minutes worth, and that's three minutes of good time. Shout out Max Homa. Again, hopefully we can get him on the podcast as Byron, our good buddy, Gazer, down in... Uh, Sarasota University Park Mall. Shout out. Um, yeah, if Holman could come on the podcast, that'd be awesome. Look, again, I, I Nick Foles is the guy that won the Super Bowl. He always will be. Carson Wentz didn't win that Super Bowl. Nick Foles and Doug Peterson, the guys with the statue out there. But again, this is the Colts going all in. If Frank Reich can with, can't win with his guy... What's there left to do for Frank here? If Chris Ballard can't win going all in here, again, he held on to his first and second round picks this year. You try and figure it out next year. If this is a team that can't compete at least to the AFC championship, there's a major concern. Phillip Rivers took this team to minutes away from beating the Buffalo Bills without OTAs, without training camp, without a preseason. T.Y. Hilton who Andrew Luck said ran some of the most ridiculous routes he's ever seen, but had just a brilliant connection with him during their time together. Rivers gave T.Y. five touchdowns in his, I think, last seven games of this year, probably allowing T.Y. to go make $15 million, $20 million this year. Now, is that too rich for the Colts? Maybe. Good stuff, Byron. And I appreciate the call, as always. Keep calling, please. So what gets the people going. People ask for this. No joke. People truly ask for, <laughs> for this. Literally, when you didn't call that one week, people were like, Where's, where is he? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we got time for one more call before we get to Mr. Gauden. And that is the very special executive producer of this program. A guy really that helped me get this podcast off and running. It's B. Todd down in Owensboro right now, soon to be Nashville. What's up, buddy? Hey, BK. Paulini loves me here. You know, you're a huge SpongeBob fan. And I've been thinking through this Big Ben shit show going down with 412. <laughs> Certain episode quote comes to mind of how many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? When's the guy probably going to call and quit? Am I pumped to have had a quarterback and play an entire career without a losing season and won two Super Bowls? Absolutely. But how many damn injuries does this man need to go through to finally decide it's time to hang up the walking boot for good? There is no scenario where I deem it a good possibility for the Stillers to keep Big Ben around next year. I saw a tweet by Mr. Dan Grigiano. And we'd essentially be enjoying the same cap hit if we cut him or forced him to retire rather than agreeing to this absolute minimum pay cut that keeps going around. 
I think at some point you got to see if Rudolph or Hass is the beer guy. And if this season doesn't seem like the perfect time to test it, when would be? Use the extra cap space, fill some other team needs outside of quarterback. And if neither Haskins nor Rudolph works out this year, so be it. Got a surplus on future franchise quarterback the year after. So, question to you is do the Pittsburgh Commanders owe it to Ben to give him one last chance, or do we send him packing down to Monaga Hale for good? Thanks. Let's go, Bucks, Bubba. I'm sure by Bucks you mean Pirates because I'm sure you do not mean the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and to talk about the Pirates in the NL Central real fast. Beats on, I think the Pirates would have a better shot if they sent out the Indianapolis Indians at PNC Park every week and every day instead of, oh man, that's, but I can tell you that the Pittsburgh Pirates will still find a way to sweep the Cubs in August because that always happens. Um, Beats on, I think the Steelers are in a similar spot quarterback wise than what the Colts are. It's really a mirror image of the Rivers thing. Except, you know, Rivers, Big Ben, you know, Big Ben won the last matchup at Heinz Field. You know, that's going to be their last matchup ever. And I remember covering that game because that is the game I covered for the Kansas City Chiefs radio network earlier this year. That was really cool. But I think they're really a mirror image because you get Rudolph and Haskins now I mean, haven't you seen enough out of Mason Rudolph? Like, that's like the Jacoby Brissett factor. Like, God, you've seen enough of this. This guy stinks. Like, this guy's not going to get us to where we need to be. This guy could be good in moments. Mason Rudolph's a big body. Mason Rudolph is a bruiser. Jacoby Brissett can be helpful on fourth and one. What else is he good for? Okay. Team morale, great. And then the Haskins thing. That's similar to Jacob Eason. Dwayne Has- we haven't heard from Dwayne Haskins since he hit up the strip club. We don't. Nobody knows who Jacob Eason is. It's the same thing. So really, B. Todd, I think that the Steelers face an interesting factor heading into this draft of Big Ben has kind of said that, you know, he'd be willing to restructure his deal. He's willing to help and then you know, they're basically trying to give up on him, basically trying to, as you said, force him into retirement. But I don't know if that's the smartest decision here. Because then if Big Ben retires, or if he's forced out per se, you might get the same type of stuff with the Colts that the Colts did with Jacoby. Like you're just supremely average. You you're gonna win a couple games, maybe you're not supposed to, but other than that, you're an eight and eight football team. Haskins has all the talent in the world. Eason supposedly has the rocket arm of all rocket arms. How are we supposed to know? I don't know if Dwayne Haskins is going to find himself back on the field that quickly. But maybe they do. Maybe they do run it back with Big Ben one more time. And you, you know, remember remember how they started this year. I mean, if you asked yourself, obviously Cowherd was never about them, but I don't know, B-Town, if you asked yourself at the start of this year, when they were undefeated through the first, you know, couple months, and like, all right, and they obviously fell apart as Big Ben, like, you know, breaks, you know, like you said, SpongeBob, big SpongeBob guy, breaks every arm at, during the day and both of his legs at night. Um, no, you, I, I think you might have to, because Rudolph is a, you know, what you're gonna get, and Dwayne Haskins is like the mystery box in 500, like I was saying on the speed round a couple weeks ago. So. That that's that's a mess. The Eagles are a mess. I like Sirianni. 
I do like Jalen Hurts. But as an organization, boy, oh boy. And the Colts are going all in. They're in Vegas. They put the chips <laughs> towards the dealer. Said, this is it. With this group, with what we have now, with this structure of the front office and on the sidelines, this is what we're going with. Great interview coming up with the one and only Brandon Gunn in play-by-play voice. Madden EA Sports NFL. EA Sports, of course, coming out with NCAA football coming up in the next few years. That's very exciting. Also, Westwood One as well uh, as Fox Sports, the Big Ten Network. BG is just always gracious with his time, whether that's listening in to tape, uh, calling into podcasts. Hopefully, when he's down here at Indy, we can meet up real quick at the station. Of course, 1070 was his old stomping grounds when he was the voice of Butler basketball because they still are to this day on 107.5, 1070 The Fan. So without further ado, let's get to this toss to Brandon Gauden. After the interview, we'll get you with the Circle Center speed round. I'm going to give you the top five reverse retro jerseys in the NHL right now. If you're not familiar with the reverse retro thing is, everybody got new alternate uniforms this year, and they're all an old-school look, kind of with the modern flair. During the interview, if you need to, look those up so you're familiar, and you can follow along through the speed round. But for now, here's Brandon Gauden. We'll also pair it with BK's big play. Here's some big-time BG calls as we lead you into the interview. Let's go to Brandon Gauden. Martin. Off the left side. But Savage secures the rebound. Woodson. Got it. Does DePaul have the answer? into the hands of Garza. They better tag Bohannon. He'll shoot it. Wow. And here comes more pressure off his back. Four diving catch at the 45 by Chris Godwin. Moves right, throws back to the left, and it's intercepted. Welcome on a very special guest. It is Brandon Gauden, play-by-play voice of EA Sports, Madden NFL, Fox Sports, the Big Ten Network. BG, great to be with you, man. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Hey, I know that you have been very, very busy amid all the wildness of the pandemic going from the NFL season, college hoops, and I know you were on the call for the Wisconsin Badgers yesterday as they rolled 68-51. We're going to talk a lot of college basketball, but man, what do you like about the number 21 team in the country right now? Well, Wisconsin is so solid year in and year out. It's like it's kind of like Butler, you know, where you and I went. It's like you watch this team that has a system that never really wavers, mm-hmm. and they won their tenth game in Big Ten play, and they've now done that eighteen of the last twenty years where they've won double-digit Big Ten games. So they've been the most consistent program for two decades. This year, not their best team. They're still an NCAA tournament team and still could make some noise in March. I just don't know the 
that they have the pieces to make a deep run, but I'm just always amazed at the consistency of that program. It's really staggering. Well, as you know very well in the Big Ten, you look at their last three games that they have to play against number five Illinois at Purdue at number nine Iowa. I mean, that's a that's a gauntlet, man. Yeah, and you know everyone's saying this year that every game in the Big Ten is a gauntlet. And look, the Big Ten is the best conference, but you do have a couple teams right now yeah. that are, that are really struggling in Nebraska um, and Northwestern. So th- those aren't nights off for the other guys. Don't get me wrong; those teams are very capable. But the the gauntlet really, I think, is at the top. And what we've seen from Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois, and Iowa in particular is really impressive. Those are four, to me, final four caliber teams. And when people say, well, what do you mean conference doesn't have four teams that can make a run to a final four? I always point back to when George Mason went to the final four, VCU. Now, Butler did it twice, although Butler was uh, in a little bit better standing than those other schools. But my point is teams can make runs in March. And I think when you look at uh, the conference like the Big Ten, as good as it is, the top four teams are all very capable this year to make a deep run, no question. Brandon Gunn with us. Brandon, as mentioned, I got to imagine your schedule hopping basically right from the NFL season into the wildness that has been college basketball with all the postponements. I got to imagine that schedule of yours has seen a lot of crossouts with some pens and and all kinds of uh, ink going around uh, just trying to manage all those games. Yeah, but it's been the same for everybody. I mean, I think during football season, I had three games canceled and then I could not do two games because I actually got COVID myself. Mm. I'm fine. I was fortunate. I had a mild case, but I, I missed an NFL and a college game back to back weeks. And then I had a few games added. So it was, it was a juggling act. You know, it's a little difficult from a preparation standpoint. If you get the call on a Thursday or Friday that your Saturday games canceled, if you've been preparing all week and then you've got to shift gears, but look, that's very much a first world problem. And everybody is, adjusting in their own way in their own profession basketball has been even more helter skelter especially i felt like in december and january there were a lot of covid pauses in the big 10 and the big east and so yeah i've had a lot of games canceled a lot of games rescheduled even today i got two more added that i didn't know were going to be in the fray here in the next 10 days Uh, but the good thing about basketball is that once you get into february and if you only cover a couple of conferences which is typically what i do with big 10 and Big East, you get to know the players and teams so well that a late switch isn't as jarring as it might have been back in November, December. Uh, So just look, here's the bottom line, and we've all said this, thankful that we've made it to this point in the season. Mm -hmm. Fingers crossed it looks like we're going to get these conference tournaments in and just hope that this NCAA tournament goes off without much issue. If it does, uh, I think we call this college basketball season a major success. Absolutely. And BG, I want to take you back to basically the absolute start of the pandemic. And I had to go back and watch the film on this to be able to ask you these questions. But your rendition of One Shining Moment uh, was fantastic, first of all. So a a couple of things to start. Um, How did you decide one day that you just wanted to get up and do that? And two, how much tape was required to to set that all up on your floor? (laughs) And you're taking me back a ways. Yeah. Gosh, it was the end of March, early April. April man, but yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So that was we just realized that the world was shutting down. There was no NCAA tournament, and for me, I've been blessed the last few years to, to broadcast that event. I love it so much. I've loved it since I was a kid. And when I was a kid growing up in Southern Indiana, down in Evansville, what I did to fall in love with sports was I played on a mini hoop in my parents' bedroom, and I would play as both teams, and I would announce the game. And I always have kept a little hoop with me just kind of as a, a memory and a memento of why I got into the business that I got into. So I had that little tights goal on my wall in my apartment in Atlanta, and I was looking at it, and I was out, and then I went out on a jog, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to have some fun, and there's no NCAA tournament. I, everybody loves the One Shining Moment video. I'm going to see if I can recreate some very watered-down three-minute version of this thing <laughs> and kind of play out the tournament in my apartment. And so, now, when I originally had that thought, I, I was thinking I would just send it to friends and family. They would get a small laugh out of it. Well, by the end of that night, it had evolved into something much bigger than that. I had gotten on Amazon and ordered a zillion shirts of all these different teams, the mascots, the tape that was on the floor. I had to order everything on Amazon oh Prime. God. The challenge was the pandemic had just started, so Amazon was struggling to get packages out. So some teams didn't make it in the video simply because I couldn't get their shirt ordered in time to make the video. But I ordered everything. Everything came in the next two days, and it took me five full days to, to set up the, the scene and tape the floor and then to tape all of those shots uh, and then to edit it. So I, I'm not yeah. a good editor, uh, and I did That's it all okay. on my Mac. So, yeah, so it took me a little while, but it was uh, five to six days. It was a labor of love, and let's just say I'm glad it was all over, and the running joke with my family is if anybody wants to know why Brandon is still single at 36 years old, <laughs> it's right there in that three minutes of video. <laughs> well, um, for one, you were absolutely Amazon's favorite customer for like a matter of two weeks, and, and two, no question. That, that might explain does that explain the bowl and the tortoise costume what was that yeah so i was looking for any costumes that could represent a, a tournament team right um i don't even know what maybe i was going for usf with the bowls i don't know what i was doing with that now the the turtle costume i put a maryland logo on it because uh. i knew that would fly for a maryland oh you know what i think i did a I think maybe I was going for a Longhorn with, uh, I don't remember what the costumes were. At any rate, it was a cluster ordering. I mean, those were the only costumes I could find that I could get on Prime. Because every time I searched for something on Amazon, I was like, sorry, due to the pandemic, we can't ship this item. I was like, oh. But uh, eventually, with enough persistence, I was able to get enough gear to make it happen. It's Brandon Gauden with us. Uh, BG, you mentioned Butler a little bit earlier. Of course, we're both alumni of that great university. Um, you're a two 2006 graduate and the play-by-play voice of Butler basketball from 2010 to 2013. Unbelievable run. BG, this is because I'm curious, was your first year then, would that have been the second Final Four? Yeah, so I missed the first one there in Indianapolis where Hayward shot uh, was no good. And I was at that game as a fan. Wow. At the time, I was doing the play-by-play down at the University of Evansville right. for the Purple Aces where I grew up. But I was at that game as a fan. I was about 30 rows back from the basket where Hayward missed the shot. And I have said many times that it probably just selfishly for me is a good thing that didn't go in <laughs> because there was no amount of security that was going to 
keep me off the floor. So <laughs> I probably would have been arrested or in a ditch that night had that gone in. Uh, but since it didn't, a few months after that, Butler announced that they were looking for a new play-by-play announcer. And they had reached out. And certainly, I, I, had they not reached out to me, I would have been all over it. I, I was uh, ready to pounce on that. That was a dream job for me. I When I took the job, I, I, the running joke was that, oh, too bad, you just missed the final four run. And then, lo and behold, who would have ever guessed that Brad Stevens and Butler would go and do it again? Unfortunately, that championship game in 2011 against Connecticut is probably the worst championship game I've ever seen in any sport, <laughs> including t-ball and little kids basketball. Um, and Butler didn't play so well. But, but the memory of that run and going through that as an alum with that coaching staff, with that team, with the analyst Nick Gardner, that, that, that three-week stretch there is hands down the most rewarding thing that I've been a part of in my career. That's awesome, man. Well, and I know that in your early days of FS1, and still today from time to time, you're getting to call Butler games uh, nationally. Those first few times, BG, when you were on the call for Butler, where, of course, nationally you kind of have to split it down the middle, was that tough at times? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the first one was a Butler-DePaul game in Chicago. I think it was actually the first first or second Fox game I'd ever done. We're going back about five years now. And I was just getting my feet wet in television. And there were a lot of friends that I have, and you and I were just talking about this before coming on air, that live in Chicago that were at that game. And certainly, I mean, deep down inside, I was cheering for Butler, but I had to remind myself that I was there to do a job. I was there to not be biased. And so I think I played it off while I was just as excited for DePaul. It was a great game. Ended up going into overtime, and yeah. Butler won it. Um, but yeah, the first two were tougher, but you get you know, you know get into a zone, and you realize what you're there for. You also realize you have people holding you accountable. You've got a, the producer, director, and everyone that's around you uh, that's relying on you to kind of host this show from a neutral standpoint. So, um, it, it wasn't as hard as I would have expected, uh, but that first one, I do remember just deep down inside say, man, I hope Butler can pull this out. And certainly they did. I just missed out on meeting you pretty much because my freshman year was the fall of 2013. Of course, you went down to Georgia Tech and to obviously where you are now. But we started to meet towards the back end of my college career through Scott Bridge, who we both know and love in the college communication. But I think how we connected BG was that I was heading out to do games in Boise in the Northwest League, short season ball. And of course, you have some history in short season ball with the Orem Owls as well. And I remember... Um, being part of that cultural requirement with you and uh, Mark Minner at yep. uh, Robinson, Robinson Hall, right? Robertson? That's right. Yeah. And, yep. and uh, that, that was a fun night, but you know, you gave me some great tips and we talked into that summer. But I just want to ask you about your experience and maybe just tell some of those stories about heading out to Orem and calling games in the Pioneer League. Yeah, I drove the day I graduated from Butler back in 06. I drove out in a Jeep with my mother, God bless her, 24 hours mm. out to Orem, Utah, just south of Salt Lake City. And I broadcasted, you know, you know how this works. It's a lot of games, and you're by yourself. You don't have an analyst. 76 games in 80 days, <laughs> and you have long bus trips oh, up yeah. to 15. I think the longest one was 15 hours to Billings, Montana. Goodness. And you're making no money. I mean, I was making $500 a month, and then I got 20% of any radio sales that I brought in. 
and I was paying $100 in rent to live in the basement of a house with three guys that went to BYU. So, and I didn't know any of them before I moved out there. So it was one of those experiences that you look at from the outside and you say, man, that doesn't sound very desirable. But I told myself, if you go out there and enjoy this, then you're going to find out, okay, this is what I want to do. Or if you don't like it and you hate it, well, maybe maybe I really don't want to do this broadcasting thing that I've always thought I wanted to do. Well, uh, obviously, I loved it. And uh, I wasn't worried about the money. And I was with guys playing on that team that were around my age. Yep. The road trips were fun. Yep. And I was just – I was calling games, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to call games, and I got to call 76 of them in 80 days, and I couldn't get enough of it. And it was a blast. Uh, you know, you're staying in – the high end is a holiday, and when you're on the road, these road trips, <laughs> yeah. as you know. I mean, I can remember uh, when we were driving up I-15 to Idaho oh Falls God. from yeah. from Utah, and – when the bus, the cargo door of the bus opened up and bags were just flooding out onto I-15 at 2.30 2 in the morning. And we started hearing these bumps and the driver didn't know what was going on. And finally, Tyler Johnson, our left fielder from the back of the bus, screamed, stop the effing bus. And so the bus driver pulls over. And for the next hour and a half, we are walking back. At three to two thirty, three thirty in the morning on I fifteen, picking up gloves and bats and balls and <laughs> jerseys, and I mean it was it was so minor league baseball. And there, I had I've got countless stories like that. Yeah. And you look back on them and you realize how sweet that time was. Um, so all that to say, I, I, but I use that as a, a kind of a litmus test of do you really want to do this? And I loved it and uh, have wanted to stay in it ever since and have been fortunate to do so. I'm with you on the bus rides. Our longest one was 14 to Vancouver, but you needed obviously a passport <laughs> to take the job. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you'd agree with me on with those bus rides, Brandon. It's you kind of just doze off and fall asleep in your two bus seats, and you just hope that you wake up and you're still moving. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and those long bus trips through the middle of the night, you would. And I remember I, I always would have to take a pee and <laughs> me getting back to the bathroom trying to because guys would lay down in the center aisle yes. and we had some we had some big players. We had some you know, I think five guys from that team went on to play, at least have a cup of coffee in the major leagues. And you never wanted to disturb them because it's four in the morning. So I'm like stepping over everybody to get back to the bathroom. And then I had to get all the way back to the front. <laughs> and uh, they would always put me if there weren't extra. Because you usually had to, I would have to double up with somebody. Yeah. And since I'm a pretty small guy, they would sometimes put me with the pitcher for the next day or something. And they wanted them to the front of the bus. So I remember always sitting next to Sean O'Sullivan, who was this big dude, huge. And uh, man, and I just like you think about those crazy middle of the night road trips and all you went through and you couldn't sleep and you had no room on the bus and it all sounds terrible. But I look back on it and maybe it's revisionist history. I don't know, but it, it was like the best time of my life. Yes. I mean, it was it was fantastic. I so. still have some great friends from that team, man. I, I really do. And uh, do you think it's a little sad? Is it sad to you, kind of how minor league baseball has? transformed a little bit in the last year with short season not existing anymore i just feel like everybody whether you're a broadcaster a player or a coach bg if everybody should kind of get that experience it's i kind of relate it to living in a crappy dorm when you're a freshman in college like it doesn't look fun at first but you're just like you said you're gonna have the best times of your life 
Yeah, I agree. And I, it, it really hurts for the announcers. I mean, the, the players, it's a good experience for them, especially if they sign for a high dollar amount to get that first stop there because I think then they appreciate the major leagues even more. And I think the same is probably true for an announcer. When that is your first or second stop on your journey, you, you see that level of it. And you see the beauty and the simplicity of that level of it. And then I think when you get to a place that, quote-unquote, is a little nicer, you appreciate that even more because of where you were. And I know that I feel that way with each and every step of my career. I would not have wanted to start any other way than where I did. I mean, sure, if you would have told 21-year-old me, hey, you can start calling games on TV for Fox next year, would you do it? Well, sure, 21-year-old me would jump at it, right? Yeah. But but now 36-year-old me looks back, and there's a reason my journey worked out as it did. And I would, uh, I don't think that I would appreciate things as much without the steps that I've taken. And, and right on that top of that list, well, at the bottom, literally, but at the top figuratively of that list is that first stop calling minor league baseball. It's Brandon Gordon with us. BG, this is something I wanted to ask you for a couple months now. Uh, taking you back to the NFL season, uh, you were on the call for a game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Arizona Cardinals. It was around the holidays. And your broadcast partner was Akeem Tlaib, the now retired cornerback. Uh, <laughs> I know you know what I'm going to ask you. Um, yeah. When you walk into the broadcast booth and you see that Christmas suit, uh, what are you thinking? <laughs> That's the most attention that I think uh, ever been received on social media was because of the suit that he was wearing. Well, when we got assigned the game, so typically in a normal season, Fox will assign your games for the NFL to start the season. You'll have the first eight weeks. And then they'll assign the next eight weeks in the middle of the season. Well, this year, because of the pandemic, everything was different. So you weren't getting scheduled sometimes until two weeks, even one week out. So it was totally different. And I found out that I was going to be working with Akib, and I found out the game that we had two weeks in advance. Well, when they assigned us that game, it wasn't that big of a game. It was a good game, not a great game. But then both of those teams won the week in between, and it turned into a really big game, and it went to quite a bit of the country. And this was only the second TV game Akib had done. I had never met him. <laughs> so we show up Saturday. Normally you would go in Thursday night or Friday morning in non-pandemic times, go to the team's practices and facilities, talk to the coaches in person. Well, all that was different this year. Everything's on Zoom. So we didn't arrive until Saturday, and I met Akib. And he was, first of all, he was great. I mean, just for, for a guy that played that long in the NFL and has millions of dollars, you would think there might be an ego there but he wanted to learn. He wanted to help do whatever he could to make the broadcast great. And he and I sat and just talked football Saturday night and got to know each other before the broadcast. And I think that put everybody at ease. But that suit, so the crazy suit you're talking about, he said – I my my t- he has a suit lady where he lives in Dallas. By the way, I don't have a suit lady, but when you're a keep to leave, you have a suit lady. <laughs> and he said, um, my suit is not done. The lady didn't get it tailored in time. I don't know what I'm going to do. So what he did is he had his wife, who no I didn't see, but she must be a saint. 
fly his suit out <laughs> on late Saturday night. She took a flight later than him just to hand deliver his suit for that game on Sunday. So she brought the suit out. He got it. He put it on air, and that was what lit social media on fire. And then we also had a really good game, and Akeem's yeah. fun. I mean, he's fun on air. Um, so we had some good back and forth. But certainly that, that green-clad Christmas suit was the thing that sold the headline. Uh, let's talk a little Madden EA Sports as well. As I'm having a lot more fun talking to you just on the phone right now than like hearing your voice when I'm playing after throwing my fourth interception of the game. And he's intercepted a fourth time. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I think a lot of people ask me like how that works and how unique of an experience that is for you. Well, it's incredibly unique, and you know I've done it now for over five years, which is hard to believe. At the time when I when I got the gig, they were moving on from Jim Nance and Phil Sims, and I randomly was reached out to by EA asking if I wanted to audition. At the time, I was I was down at Georgia Tech doing their play by play. Now I was just thinking when they reached out to me that I was this dark horse candidate, and I was because I knew that they were they just had Jim Nance, they had Al Michaels, they had Gus Johnson. So I, I figured, okay, they're going to be bringing in really high-level national TV guys, and they just kind of want me to come in as a dark horse candidate. So I was excited about it, but I, I guess I tamped down my expectations. But I went down to Orlando where the studio is. This is back now in, gosh, 2016, and I auditioned. And I, I do remember that the audition went well. It went really well. And I remember clicking with everybody there, and the team and I talked sports and we, it was just guys my age, and everything just seemed to flow. Um, and so I left there, and I thought, you know what? This I don't know. This may happen. But, again, I knew that they were bringing in bigger fish. But a couple of months later, lo and behold, I got the call, and they asked, you know, do you want to replace – Jim Hansen take over the reins and the play-by-play voice of the football game, Madden football. And I said, are you kidding? Yeah, like, oh, it was yes. something I, I couldn't say yes fast enough. And I, I still just um, have to pinch myself a little bit. So so grateful for that opportunity and, and thankful that it was uh, one that fell in my lap and then got to interview the analysts. I interviewed four of them, and they, they chose Charles Davis. They thought we sounded the best together. So it's been an interesting five and a half years. You know, the the good thing is it's obviously such a successful, wonderful video game and awesome to be a part of. The tough thing for me is I don't play the game, uh-huh. and and when I do hear myself on the game, it's a video game, right? So Jim Nance, everybody else before me is the same thing. You don't sound like what you sound like in real life. Right. Because they, they take these small audio snippets of five to seven seconds and they glue them all together. It's called stitching and it's supposed to sound like you recorded them together, but in actuality these little lines were recorded on different days, different months, a lot of times different years, and then they get paired together. So it's going to sound a little robotic. So for me, I get frustrated listening to it because it doesn't sound like me calling an actual game but I've got to remind myself that's life it's a video game and there's always going to be shortcomings. I never noticed that, man. I th- I, you obviously do a great job. I, I'm curious about this too. Are th- BG, are there any sports you have not done that you still want to get into? Um, no, I mean, I my big three have always been football, basketball, and baseball. 
those were the ones that I fell in love with as a kid. I mean, I've done some golf, and I certainly would not be opposed to golf. I, I play it all the time. I love the sport, uh, but I haven't done it in a few years. Baseball is the one that has kind of fallen third right now as far as not it's not that i don't like it as well as football and basketball it's just that i've been given more opportunities from fox in the football and basketball world because they don't have as much baseball inventory so in the next couple of years i would like to try to balance that back out and get back into the baseball booth more because that was really that was really my first love and and i told you you know we talked about the minor league gig that was my first gig out of college but baseball growing up was my most natural sport. I grew up watching the Atlanta Braves every night on TBS. And and baseball was something that I used to, to follow so closely. I mean, I knew everything. I knew everything about every Braves team in the 90s. I can tell you the rosters, the starters, what their postseason runs were. Uh, I, I liked them to an unhealthy level back in the day. My point in saying that is I would like to get some balance back and get back into the baseball booth a little more. Uh, but that football and, and basketball are, are, are my three main loves. Uh, were you more of a... It, or you could say all of the above, but were you more of a Maddox, Glavin, or Smoltz guy? Well, they were all fantastic. I mean, Maddox always amazed me the most just because he was such, you know, they called him the professor, but he right. he could put the ball anywhere. I, there's a story, and it's on YouTube, but it's a true story of when he told center fielder, I think at the time it was either Andrew Jones or Marquis Grissom, but and I don't remember who was batting, but basically he knew if he threw a fastball, split-finger fastball, that this guy was going to hit it to deep center field, but he wouldn't get enough power on it to go over the fence. So he told the center fielder, just go back, go back toward the warning track, just a little shaded towards left center, and I'm going to throw this split finger fastball. He'll he'll hit it hard, but it's not going to go over the fence. And sure enough, it was, I think it was like a 1-0 pitch, and that's what he threw. Guy reached for it, hit it well, and it went out. And the, exact, like the center fielder, again, I don't remember if it was Jones or Grissom, but didn't even have to move a step. And uh, it's stories like that with Maddox that Man. he was kind of, to me, like the Peyton Manning, had just a surgical way of operating that always blew my mind. So he was probably my favorite pitcher. Love that. Um, BG, before I let you go, we obviously got to get into some more March Madness as it's coming here to downtown Indy. I know that you're going to be in town, which is very exciting. But who are some other teams that you like right now, Brandon? Well, I think Gonzaga and Baylor, if you're just looking outside of the Big Ten, uh, I mean, it, they're impressive. Every, I'm not unique in saying this. I think pretty much everybody is saying that on paper, those are the two best teams, and it's hard to argue with that. Guns, I think Gonzaga just, I mean, what, what Mark View has done there is incredible. I don't think he gets enough attention for it, but those two teams would probably be your favorites. I gave you the four in the Big Ten that I think could all make a run. I think Illinois is the most talented team, top to bottom. That doesn't mean they're the best team. I think Michigan probably has has the best team. Illinois has the most talented team. And then Iowa and Ohio State are right there, too, as teams that can make a run to the Final Four. Uh, Big Ten's the best league. I, I don't – I've seen – I have seen the Big Ten the closest, yes. I'm biased. Sure, you could say that. But I've watched enough basketball. It, it, it's it's as good of a conference as I've seen. So it's going to be a, a fun NCAA tournament. And obviously, for guys like you and I, um, we, we feel spoiled getting that in our backyard of Indianapolis. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Well, I'm sure you've seen the top 25 lately and that Loyola Chicago has found their way back into the top 25, so (laughs) we may see the return of Sister Jean, BG. 
Well, Sister Jean's, I think she's 101 now. Yes. So God bless, God bless her. Oh, uh, my she's God. She's still smiling. You know, I, ho- I hope Loyola makes a run. as a heck of a story a couple of years ago. Uh, I know you mentioned Gonzaga, and we'll get you out of here, but I know the eight-year anniversary of the Rose Jones buzzer, be- buzzer beater call just passed, and uh, that night was when I decided to come to Butler. My dad and I were at game day, and then we went back home to watch the game, and I know that call of yours holds a special place in a lot of Butler's fans' hearts. So, um, you did a lot of great things, man, as the voice of the dogs, and you're doing a lot of great things right now, and I appreciate uh, everything you've done for me and jumping on the podcast tonight, PG. Absolutely. BK, thanks for having me, man. A real pleasure and continued success to you, my friend. That is the man, Brandon Gaudin. Appreciate his time so much, how hardworking he is, and kind enough to take some time here on the podcast a guy that is going to be even more wildly successful even than he is right now. The guy maybe has one of the brightest futures in broadcasting. Proud that he is a Butler Bulldog, and I'm proud especially to know the guy. So as we continue here on Episode 10, don't forget you can contact the program anytime. Show email, Show at gmail.com. If you want to leave a voicemail for next week, 317-699-2350. March Madness is getting closer. Goodness. The city of Indianapolis is going to benefit so much, and uh, the way BG was talking about it is that he is going to be here. He just obviously does not know the availability he's going to have to enjoy the city of Indianapolis during March Madness. Of course, he's got a job to do, and if they're getting you know, tested every day and whatnot, that's still to be determined. But before the interview... I told you that the NHL is bringing about some new jerseys this year. They're called reverse retro jerseys. An old school look with a bit of a new flair. And we are going to rank them right now as the Circle Center Speed Around comes up on episode 10 of the BK Show. I'm going to give you my top five reverse retros if you get them pulled up on NHL.com. Follow along. Top five reverse retros in the NHL for 2021. Let's go. All right, got to give some honorable mentions to start this segment. And again, if you're following along and see all 30 jerseys, just Google reverse retro 30 jerseys and you'll be good to go. Honorable mention number one, the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's a beautiful mix of blue, that black on the shoulder and the side. It's just a nice look. And then you get that white on the top of the bottom with that uh, lightning bolt across the middle. That's just a sharp look, and it reminds me of their Stanley Cup run in 2004 as they beat the Calgary Flames. That just brings back the memory of, like, Vincent LeCavalier, Marty St. Louis, Brad Richards on that team. Ah, that was just a really good team. Honorable mention number two, the Philadelphia Flyers. It's a really sharp jersey, and Byron might enjoy me saying this. You know, I think Philly, the reason why they're only an honorable mention is that I think I don't dig the white wrists as much, but you get the big Flyers logo on the orange. That really pops. I love the black shoulders. Uh, The black letter for the C or the A is sharp. I just don't like that wrist white, but 
they wore those during the uh, Lake Tahoe games, which were sick on NBC. And that orange really pops. So I dig the orange. They could improve by just going all orange, leaving that white off the wrist. Let's get to the top five now, beginning with the Washington Capitals. That's just a sexy look with the bald eagle. That just screams 1990s. Everything about that is retro. It's sharp. I don't know if they've worn it yet. I like the C on the opposite uh, side of the chest as well. That's kind of a nod to the Detroit Red Wings. They're one of the only teams that's ever done that. I like the font on the number, the bottom with the blue. Again, all these in the top five are ones I really like. I really don't have a way to improve them. I don't know if Washington made that all blue. Maybe that would be a little bit cooler. But other than that, that's just a really, really nice look. Number four, you know I had to go here, but that's because the jersey is so beautiful and it reminds me of the old days of being a fan, and that's the Florida Panthers. Look at that thing. The uh, sprawling cat on the front, the blue, the white, the little bit of gold. Ah, they, the Panther. The only problem is the Panthers have worn those jerseys twice this year now, and they've lost both times to Tampa and Detroit. So uh, they cannot afford to uh, not win in those jerseys because they're only wearing them on a select few amount of nights. They're going to need to win in those jerseys at least once, or that's a national travesty to the Florida Panthers. Number three is to the Colorado Avalanche with those Quebec Nordiques logos. Uh, the Nordiques were who the Avalanche were before they headed to Denver, uh, the team in Quebec, and we've heard so much about Quebec possibly coming back to get another team, but that just pops. That's like a, oh man, that's a magenta maroon with the white and that little uh, light blue, that outline, that's great. Uh, go number two, the Los Angeles Kings. I feel like the Kings just do everything with class. I don't know, with their cup runs, everything was done well. Daryl Sutter's their coach, was just an old school dude. Um, the way that they presented their two cup wins, Bob Miller, one of the better uh, hockey TV voices ever, the way that they set him out in his final year was very respectful. And they did this jersey extremely well. The logo just dates back to the Wayne Gretzky days. And you get the purple and the gold, especially after Kobe dies. That brings back some great memories. I remember the Kings uh, brought out the old school purple and golds on the days of following Kobe's death. And it's just a sexy jersey. I really just like it. It's sharp. I don't know if they've worn it on the ice yet, but I think the Kings just do everything well. But that's not beating out number one, and that's the Calgary Flames. Oh, that black. They go to black shorts too with Blasty on the front. They've worn those a few times in the Battle of Alberta against the Oilers. I believe they've won both times too. How could you not like that from the Calgary Flames? Blasty on the front, that little line of red and gold as well at the bottom, and then the white numbers just does it perfectly. Calgary Flames, LA Kings, Colorado Avalanche, Florida Panthers, Washington Capitals, the honorable mentions, Philly and Tampa on the Circle Center Speed Round, the reverse retros. It's the Circle Center Speed Round, episode 10 of the BK Show. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate it very, very much. Before we go this week, it's going to be a busy month of March. And um, to say it now, I think I can officially say it, that I'm going to have a pretty cool responsibility. And 
You can listen in on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan down here in Indy. Of course, the online stream available at 107.5thefan.com. My responsibility for March Madness every day of the tournament, and as we get closer to the tournament, we'll determine the date it actually starts, but every day of the tournament guaranteed, I'm going to be on air on The Fan twice an hour, every hour from 12 to 6 every day of the tournament, giving updates on what's going on. We're going to have scores, we're going to have stats, we're going to have a full uh, deep dive into every game being played in the afternoon and early evening, and those updates will come on Dan Dockage's show, JMV's show down here in Indy, so I'll head into the studio again twice an hour, every hour, and just talk some sports, you know, um, cannot wait, it's going to be a lot of fun, and again, I'm going to have a absolutely loaded month of March, which, again, not complaining in any sense, hopefully, maybe some coaches will jump on here from the bubble, maybe even some players, uh, that would be sweet. Maybe some announcers from a couple teams. You know, I want to be as transparent. I want to give you guys as much content as possible. Again, I do this show um, for you guys to enjoy, of course. I do it for myself to have fun with. And I hope that you have enjoyed the first 10 episodes. I think one thing that's for sure is that every episode, it's gotten just a tad better. Um, We're growing. We're learning. I've never done a podcast before. I've barely done radio shows before, you know, this past summer. You know, the first time I ever got the opportunity to host my own show was on the 4th of July here in Indy with Indiana Sports Talk. Of course, good buddy Jordan Galgan came on that night and um, a multitude of other great guests. But, you know, I do this show to hopefully give you guys a smile. I do it to you know, certainly give me a smile and to enjoy what I do down here. But uh, I have been pretty busy on the fan with actual on-air responsibilities lately. And this was something today from the Fan Morning Show, which airs live 7 to 10 a.m. I'm helping out on that show all of this week. And they do a segment. It's called I Gotta Know, where the producer, the assistant, or whatever, asks the hosts uh, just random questions. Random as it gets. But obviously you want to relate it to what's going on. So like the day after the Carson Wentz trade, my my first question of I got to know was like, all right, Carson Wentz is leaving the land of Philly cheesesteaks. He needs a new sandwich. What are we going with here? And of course, the tenderloin got mentioned, a couple other things. Um, So my question today to Big Joe Stasniak, former Colts offensive lineman, and Kevin Bowen, who you heard uh, on episode three of the podcast. KB, of course, covers... The Colts for 1075thefan.com does a great job at KBowen1070 on Twitter. My question to them was, what was a vacation that you enjoyed as either a child or an adult that was memorable? And it basically turned into a college spring break conversation. And this is where it kind of got a little off the rails. That was your college spring break? No, no, no. That was, oh. No, boy, college spring break. I probably wouldn't have made it back. Um, that was probably like 11 or 12. And did like a Stingray City down there, played some golf. So that was fun. I had a high school spring break that we ended up having to take a Greyhound bus back from because of uh, some shenanigans. Oh, boy. So that wasn't a good memory, where, though. Where, where from? Uh, uh, Daytona Beach. <laughs> ah, my, my parents let me take one college spring break, and I saved it for senior year down in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> He's still feeling the effects yeah. of it. Yeah. They were jumping off yeah. of roofs and all right. kinds of things. Brennan the sh- showed up back to campus looking like Tiger Woods <laughs> in, the, uh, in the CBS booth. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't kidding. I think any Butler student that shows up from Lottie <laughs> and uh, is not um, 
not only tired, but also kind of beaten up. Kind of like Carson Wentz is coming from Philadelphia. You're tired, you're beaten, you're bruised, you're annoyed, you're, you're, you're down money, you spent way too much money on late night pizza at Permanti Bros, you spent $20 to get into a nightclub just to go ju- see your friends, and oh god, there's just so much that goes on in Lottie, and oh, goodness, it's just a experience and like if you all obviously you guys that are that went to butler like you know exactly what i'm talking about i mean oh i mean it's just not for the faint of heart fort lauderdale especially on spring break but obviously everybody had a lot of fun it's something that i don't think anybody will ever forget but yes the conversation on the fan morning show really just turned into, into what your wildest spring break was and I really didn't feel comfortable sharing some stories on uh, the public airwaves here in downtown Indianapolis and I usually for the rest of my life will keep those stories close to the vest anyway episode 10 of the BK show want to give a big thank you to Brandon Gauden for for hopping on this week terrific broadcaster great mentor a guy to look up to for everybody working towards a dream. March Madness comes here soon. Let's get it going, Indy. A busy month on the way of the BK Show. Thanks for being with us for the first 10 episodes. Have a great week.